Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel that you have revealed to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you speak to us in your holy word. And so we ask now that you would teach us through the preaching of your word and prepare our hearts to receive your word with understanding and with a readiness to respond with obedient hearts and lives. Shape us to be more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, in every way. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you'll please open your Bibles to our sermon text, looking this morning at Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, page 984 in the Pew Bibles. Colossians 3, 18 through 21. Here now, this is the holy, infallible word of God. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. It's gotten trendy in recent years to hang a sign up in your house with the family rules. And if you do an online search, you can find all kinds of examples of signs for sale with these sorts of house rules or family rules, which it varies a bit from sign to sign, but some rules are very common. Say please and thank you. Do your best. Have fun. Laugh a lot. Hug often. Always tell the truth. And know that you are loved. There's nothing wrong with those sorts of house rules, and some may be a bit sentimental, but there's nothing wrong with that. But what we have before us in our passage this morning is on a completely different level. For we have here a set of divinely inspired family rules. These are the kind of rules you want to hang on your wall. Now, if you recall the context of the letter, Paul has just written that you are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let his nature, let his character be reflected in everything that you do. And now he's bringing Christ's lordship to bear upon the everyday ins and outs of family life. And if you think about it, you realize that this is where a great majority of your life is lived. Sure, you go out to work, perhaps you go to school, you go out other places, but morning and evening, at the end of the day, you are at home with your family. These are the closest relationships you have, and if you aren't following Christ here, you aren't truly following Christ. Now, this section of the letter is generally called the household code. And we also read the parallel in Ephesians, and Paul writes this in a cultural context where this is a known genre. There were other Greek and Roman household codes. And as we compare and contrast what we have here to those codes, there are some similarities to those codes, but what we have here is completely countercultural. The Roman household was based on the principle of what was called patria potestas, the power of the father. 
And this power was basically without limits. The father had complete authority over his household, over his wife, his children, and his slaves. They were considered his property to do with whatever he pleased. This biblical code was radically different from the codes of Paul's day. While the father still has an important role in the biblical household, he does not have this sort of tyrannical power. He has limits. He has responsibilities. And the responsibilities given to the wives and the children are not ultimately based on the authority and the power of the father, but on a higher authority than his. And that's actually what stands out most of all when you read this passage and also the passage that follows. We'll be looking at it next time, the passage on slaves and masters, which is still part of this same household code. And it stands out that the repeated reason given for the commands to do this, do this for, do this because of, do this unto the Lord. And all this points to the fact that the true patria potestas, the power of the Father, the highest authority in the Christian home, belongs not to the natural, the human father, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone submits to his authority. He is the Lord of the household. And so this morning we want to consider how Jesus Christ orders us to direct his household. What are his rules for the families that he rules? So we look first at Christian marriage this morning. And we read in verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. This idea of submission, it's considered an an outrage in our culture today, which exalts human autonomy. But you see that submission, it runs throughout the passage. In each section, Paul addresses first the party that is called to submit and then the party that has the reciprocal duty. And you see that in Christianity, Jesus has taught that it is more blessed to give than to receive. He has taught that the first will be the last, that whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so for the wife to be in this role of submission to her husband is not to demeanor, it's not to belittle her in any way. It is an honor to serve her husband in this way. In fact, Christianity exalts the status of the woman in a culture that degraded and debased women. Roman husbands in this day, they treated their wives as property. Yes, they were considered above a slave, but not much. The Bible teaches the glorious truth that men and women are both created in the image of God. Women are equal to men in value and ability. And so they are given a different and complementary role in marriage, but a role that is by no means inferior. So what does this mean as the Bible teaches women to submit? This verse does not call the husband to force his wife into subjection. That is not what it is saying. No, rather, this is a call to the wife to willingly put herself under her husband's authority and direction. And so to honor, to respect, to serve her husband in this way. Just as all people are called to submit to God and to his law, just as the church is to submit to Christ, 
her king, just as all are to submit to their governing authorities, just as believers, we are to submit to our church leaders. So wives are called to submit to their own husbands. You are to follow the picture, the greatest picture of submission that we have, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, fully equal to the Father and yet willingly coming under his direction in all things, in his incarnation, in his life, his ministry, and ultimately in his sacrificial death for our sins. Through it all, he says, I do everything in perfect submission to my heavenly Father. What a beautiful example for the wife to follow as she willfully, willingly and respectfully submits to her husband. But you also see, we're given here, the reason why the wife submits. It says, because this is fitting in the Lord. It's the idea of fitting like two puzzle pieces fitting together just right. It's also the idea that this is proper behavior in Christ's household. This also reminds us that it is Christ's household. And because it's Christ's household, the husband's authority is not absolute. I will look at his responsibility to love in a moment. But because Christ is Lord of the household, that means that the wife cannot follow or submit to her husband in following him into sin. But rather, in this situation, must urge him in such a case to submit to his higher authority. The same would be the case if there's any sort of abuse in the marriage. The wife doesn't simply submit and allow herself to be trampled upon. She must call her husband to repent, and if he does not, she must seek the proper church authority, or if appropriate, civil authority, if there's criminal behavior involved. We are all under authority, and there are limits on that authority. But the general rule here is for the wife to graciously submit to her husband. Of course, the hope is that in a loving Christian marriage, there will be good communication, there will be speaking the truth in love, there will, this will lead to many decisions being mutual, mutual decisions. Remember, the overall picture of marriage in the Bible is that the two will become one. Profound unity in marriage. But in our fallen world, in our sinful state, there will inevitably be times when a husband and a wife cannot come to an agreement. And yet a decision needs to be made, and it is the husband's job to make that decision. And the wife is called to submit, to yield to her husband's authority. And wife, when you do that, you do that recognizing that your husband is a sinner, that he is a fallible human being, and your trust is not ultimately in his wisdom or that he is perfect or that he always makes all the right decisions, but rather your trust is that God is sovereign, that he has placed you in this marriage, that he has called you to submit to your husband. And so you submit trusting in the Lord, obeying his command, trusting that the Lord will use your obedience for his glory. Now, I know, you know, that submission is deeply countercultural today. Our culture demands equality, it demands autonomy. And yet, what a beautiful testimony this is to those around us and what harmonious marriages this creates. And yet, husbands, never forget that your wife submits to you not for your sake, 
but for the sake of Christ, her Lord, the true Lord of the household. Of course, we also must remember here that not all believing wives are married to believing husbands, but even if your husband is not a believer, that does not excuse you from this command. As Peter writes, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 2. This attitude of respectful submission will serve as a witness of the gospel to your unbelieving husband. Of course, the same caveats apply, that you must draw the line at not submitting to sinful directives, that you must always obey the higher authority of the Lord because it's in, your, in his service that you submit to your husband. That as you do so, you pray that the Lord would use this for the salvation of your husband. Next, we consider the responsibility given here to husbands in verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In the household codes of Paul's day, the fathers in the house were given all authority with no obligations. Nothing to limit their authority. But here we see that the husbands are given the most challenging requirements of all. For as we see in the parallel passage in Ephesians, this command to love, it's not just some generic emotion. It is to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just as Christ was the example of gracious submission to his father, so he is the greatest example of love in the way that he loves the church. And consider, you need God's help even to grasp Christ's love, much less to emulate it. Consider how Paul prays for the Ephesians church, Ephesian church in Ephesians 3, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. If Christ's love surpasses knowledge. And we need supernatural help just to comprehend it. How much more do you husbands need God's help to actually show this same love to your wife? This is the highest bar. And yet the scriptures say this is your duty as a husband. Consider also that Christ loved the church when she was completely unlovable. And yet he gave his life to sanctify and cleanse her. And so the husband is called to lay down his life for his wife. Karen Howe wrote an article called Husbands Forget the Heroics, in which she recounts how she heard a sermon in which the pastor preached for 59 minutes about how the wife was to submit to her husband, and then he saved one minute at the very end of the sermon his grand finale saying, men, you must love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what does that mean? You need to be willing to die for her. And she said after that sermon, she was thinking about all, she had all these images flashing through her mind of her husband leaping in front of a rushing bull to save her, of a ravaging band of cannibals coming and her husband said, I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice myself to save her. And she was thinking, 
that's never going to happen. I don't need my husband to die for me. I need him to live out his love for me. What does that look like? It may look different in different circumstances, but it means dying to yourself, dying to your own selfish desires in order to meet your wife's needs. It may mean coming home after a long day of work when you're tired, when you just want to put your feet up, recognizing your wife feels the same way. And so you need to help with dinner. You need to help with dishes. You need to help with diapers. You need to help with baths. You need to serve your wife. And I'm preaching to myself here too. Let every action silently speak to your wife. My life for yours. I give up my desires to put you first. In all this, we need to remember that, yes, Christ died for us, but he also lived his life for us as well. He perfectly fulfilled the law so that he might give us his perfect record of righteousness. That's what made his death count, because first he lived that perfect life for us. A second thing we see here that follows naturally from this is do not be harsh with your wife. Of course, this was especially important for Paul, writing in the first century, where it was common for men to use that unlimited authority, that vast power differential in Roman society to treat their wives like hired servants or slaves. But this is still just an important a warning for us today. For this is the temptation of anyone in authority. You can wield that authority with harshness. You can forget that you have been given this authority in order to serve, in order to be a, a blessing to your wife. Of course, this warning against harshness includes a prohibition against any sort of abuse of the wife, not only physical abuse, but any sort of verbal abuse, any sort of emotional abuse. These things are absolutely forbidden in Christ's household. The standard is the love of Christ for his church. So harshness and bitterness, this can have no place in the marriage. Last time we saw the characteristics of Christ that we are called to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And of course, it is love that binds all these things together. But don't forget all those other things as well. To be harsh is to give in to that old man which you have taken off with its practices. These are the things you must put to death. But you know, sometimes it is the person you know best the person you spend the most time with, that you can most easily slip into pushing buttons, taking advantage of their weaknesses, critiquing her where she is most vulnerable. And so, yes, the husband has the role with the authority, but that does not create a hierarchy within the marriage. You have no right to belittle your wife in any way. You must use this role of authority in order to serve, in order to give, in order to love. And as we saw in our reading in Ephesians, the ultimate result of marriage that is that following God's household rules, wife submitting to husband, husband loving wife, is that this reflects the relationship between Christ and his church. And as you live this out, this is a picture of the gospel. As others see you living this out, they will see Christ and his church. Next, we come to the household rules for children and parents. And let me say to you, children, are you listening? Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, 
for this pleases the Lord. Children, this is very simple, very straightforward, kids. Everyone can understand this. Your parents have told you to do something. What do you do? You don't need to seek advice. You don't need to study the scriptures. The answer is right here. You don't need to be an expert on ethics or philosophy. You don't even need to pray about it. Of course, you can pray about it. But the Lord has already told you what he wants you to do. He wants you to do whatever your parents have told you to do. Obey your parents. It's that simple. Now, this is addressed to children who are still in the home. Adult children are, of course, still bound by the fifth commandment to honor their parents. But they no longer are bound to obey their parents in the same strict sense. And children in the home, you are called to obey your parents because in this way you are obeying the Lord. And the reason for this, it's not only clear, but it is a wonderful reason given here. It says, because this pleases the Lord. He delights to see children who obey their parents. The parallel in Ephesians, it says, obey your parents because this is right. And Paul goes on to quote the fifth commandment and the promise given there. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. Now, this is God's promise, blessing, but it, it also simply makes sense. This is the way the world works. For in obeying one's parents, a child learns basic respect for authority in general, respect for others around him. This lays the foundation for a successful life in the world, in society, outside the home. Now, children don't always grasp this. It's it's. it's it's hard to understand when you're little, but your parents are older, your parents are wiser, they're more mature in the Lord, and it is their responsibility to raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that you will love the Lord, so that you will follow Him. They're doing this for your good. Now, sadly, today, so many of our children's movies that they watch, even the, the good Children, children's movies, they're filled with the message that parents are out of touch, that they will hold you back, that if you want to excel and follow your dreams, then you're going to need to be a rebel. You're going to need to break free. You're going to need to go your own way. That's the message that so many Disney movies, that so many others as well preach today. But the truth is that God has given you your parents for your good, to be a blessing to you, to raise you in the truth. And your simple responsibility is to obey them. And perhaps you've heard the simple little song which goes, I will obey the first time I've told. I will obey right away, never with a sigh, never asking why. I will obey right away. That is to be the attitude of a child to his parents. And Perhaps never asking why, that might not be totally accurate. As you get older, you should grow in the understanding for the things your parents are telling you to do. But the idea here is that a lack of understanding should never keep you from obeying your parents, just as it never keeps you from obeying the Lord. You are called to obey. Now, the other side of this is the responsibility given here to parents, and especially to fathers. Verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now the idea of provoking here, it means to provoke to anger, to provoke to rebellion. And the outcome you see is that your children become discouraged. That they give up, that they have a sense that they can never measure up, they can never please 
their father. And notice here how fathers in particular are addressed in this verse. And this, of course, assumes that the father is active in the discipline of his children. Now, certainly both parents should be taking part in disciplining the children, but fathers, you are particularly held responsible in this area. You must be involved. You cannot be passive. You cannot say, the children and their discipline, it's simply your wife's area of responsibility. The Bible teaches very clearly that discipline of children it is necessary, especially the book of Proverbs is filled with this truth. Of the many Proverbs on this topic, I particularly appreciate Proverbs 3.12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. It's because you delight in your son, because you love him that you correct him just as the Lord does for us all. Assuming you are disciplining your children, how is this discipline to be carried out? Now, the obvious pitfall here that's being warned against is is to be overly harsh in correction, to be too quick to critique, impossible to please, to never have a word of encouragement. This is the sort of attitude that will drive a child to bitterness, to anger, to discouragement. As Martin Luther writes, Spare the rod and spoil the child, that is true, but beside the rod keep an apple to give him when he has done well. Discipline must be paired with encouragement. And of course, we must remember from the previous passage, as we raise our children, that you must discipline with patience, with gentleness, doing everything with love. And discipline, it needs to take into account each child's needs, his personality, his weaknesses, recognizing if one particular child is more sensitive or needs more encouragement than another. But the danger of being overly harsh is only one piece of the puzzle. If the standards are constantly changing, a child will feel lost. He will feel like he can never do the right thing, and that will lead to discouragement or bitterness. Or if you are inconsistent in enforcing the standards, following the letter of the law one day, and the very next day you're giving free reign, and it doesn't matter that the rules are being disobeyed, this will also confuse and provoke your children. The other thing that you must be particularly careful of, and this is so common, so easy to fall into, is not to discipline in anger. For this inevitably leads to harshness, to a lack of gentleness, to a lack of love, to doing discipline not for the good of the child, but simply because you are upset, because you are offended. And when this happens, as it inevitably will, it is an opportunity to confess your own sin of anger to your children, to ask their forgiveness, to remind them of the gospel that we are all sinners, that we all need the grace and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. All this is a reminder that we live in Christ's household. He is the Lord of the house, and we are to do everything that we do in his name, according to his character, for his honor and glory. So we've seen the pattern this morning. Wives submitting to husbands, husbands loving their wives. Children obeying the parents, fathers disciplining their children with gentleness and love so as not to provoke them. The power for this 
Going back to what we've seen before, the power for this flows out of your union with Christ, your new identity in him because you have died with him to sin, risen with him to new life. You have put off the old, you are putting on the new, being renewed in his image and likeness. And the purpose of this is to glorify Jesus Christ in all that you do. It is a witness for him to the world around him. It's so true. If you were to put these up on your wall, many in our culture would read these household rules. They would be offended. This very idea of submission, of obedience, they would find such things appalling. But invite that same person into a loving Christian family. Invite them to receive hospitality and their experience would be very different because the human heart longs for family, longs for home, longs for love. In our world today, it is filled with broken families. And yet here we have laid out for us how God has created us, how God has designed us to live. This is how Christ has taught us and how he rules over the Christian family. And so we are to do this, first and foremost, to obey our Father, to obey Jesus Christ, to please him. But he has also promised that if we live as we are designed, it will be a great blessing for us, but also a witness to all those around us. And it will also be for his great glory. Shall we pray? Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed to us the glorious gospel of our Jesus, of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have called us out of darkness into his glorious light. And we thank you that you have created us and given us roles so that as we live them out, you uh, bless our lives. We pray, Father, that as you have shown us how to live in Christian families, you would help us uh, to fulfill these roles and that as we do so, you would bless our families. We pray, Lord, that you would be growing each family here today in fulfilling these roles. We pray for husbands that you would strengthen them to, fill, to live up to this high bar of loving their, their wives as Christ has loved the church. We pray for each husband or each wife here today that as they are called to submit to their husbands, uh, they would do so trusting Christ uh, to, do, to do this uh, difficult role. We pray, Lord, that the children would be growing in uh, obedience to their parents and that the parents would be growing in lovingly nurturing and raising their children in the, in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. Grow us in these things as we seek to live for you and follow Christ's rule over the household. For we pray it in his name. Amen.